Hello, personal productivity enthusiasts and community. Welcome to Anything But Idle, the productivity news podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Coworking Space by Personal Productivity Club. I'm Ray Sidney Smith. I'm a good to be not. And we're your hosts for Anything But Idle. This is episode 105, and it's May 10th, 2022. Uh, Apple is selling DIY repair kits, of all things, um, and the productivity and related technology news this week. Uh, so, of course, each week, Augusto and I read and review, listen, watch, whatever, all of the productivity and technology news of the week. And we reduce that down into the headlines of the week to share with you. And so first, we start off with kind of the blogosphere and uh, audiosphere uh, content uh, that's out there. And so, Augusto, what is our first personal productivity article this week? So the first article that we are going to have come from the Rescue Time blog. And they call the PARA systems and the importance of folders. And, you know, last week we were discussing in cross-platform with Arquette Wilkes about this, about the notes. And this article came, you know, talking about a system that really applied, doesn't matter if you are paper or digital or even a combination of it. The P-A-R-A stands for Projects, Areas, Resources, and Archive. And basically, the article goes into saying, well, this is probably an approach that may be one of those exceptions to one size fits all. And they explain how to apply, you know, the projects depending, the areas of interest, what is that research material and the archives. And what it was interesting is that, yes, most will fit into those categories. But as your life gets digital, what you are going to find is different implementations of or applications for where this is contained. You know, I don't have a big file cabinet, so I, well, my file cabinet was never that big, but I may say, but I was thinking about that. But, it, but in digital, it has evolved over the years for the apps that I use and for the research material and where they live and, and all this. So again, it was a, a way, an interesting way to explain a simple solution for this and how not to lose all that information so you can recall the information. Yeah, so this is a very, for me, very digital-focused kind of methodology. Uh, this was developed by Tiago Forte. Many of you may know uh, Tiago. He's also the author of the book uh, Building the Second Brain, but he has that whole Building the Second Brain course that he runs, and um, Para is a part of that whole you know, or para is a part of that whole, uh, you know, course platform that he teaches. Um, you know, I, I think that for those who, who are dealing in a, a purely digital sense, I think this makes a lot of sense. And, you know, there are a lot of different tools uh, like Notion and Obsidian and otherwise that work really well with this kind of concept. It's kind of a, you know, an adaptation, so to speak, of maybe what we would consider a Zettelkasten type system. So, um, all good. I think it's really good to kind of read through and see how some of these pieces may actually work for you in your own system and kind mm -hmm. of go from there. All right, on to our next article this week. How to, from life science and how to improve your memory. And you know, it's, memory is one of those interesting things. You know, they talk about jump, focus on a healthy diet, meditation, drinking water, get moving, 
you know, get a good night of sleep and how these things are going to help you or can help or play a role into the memory. You know, I say reading all that, yeah, I may agree with a healthy diet and the water, you know, the meditation gets, the get moving was the part that I, okay. Um, I, and maybe it's because I don't move, you know, that may be the reason I'm against that part of the article as my co-host laughs significantly in the side of the screen, but <laughs> Yeah, no, I think I think it was a really good article, and it also brings up the importance of having a sense of skepticism uh, relating to uh, things like uh, memory exercises. Uh, you know, brain exercising can be really good for very, very specific use cases, uh, but you know, there are lots of different types of brain training applications and so on and so forth that you you just can't trust that they're all going to do what you think they're going to do. Uh, you need to be very skeptical about those things. Uh, so. You know, there are lots of, of good things that come from, it's not exercising your brain necessarily, but it is it is the concept of utilizing all the skills your brain has. You have very different types of, of skill sets that the brain has, and utilizing those skill sets are really important. So, of course, uh, meditation for me in a productivity context is, of course, being able to uh, attend to the right things at the right time. Uh, that is about focus. It's about attention, uh, not necessarily about anything else. And so uh, you can you can train that aspect of your of your mind uh, and and just do present mindedness, right? That's aside from all of the other types of meditation, present mindedness is just one, uh, you know, very first step in being able to uh, exercise the brain and therefore, uh, you know, combat things like memory loss uh, along the way. All right, moving right along to our next story this week. So the last story we have on this segment is from Interesting Engineer, and it comes, it's official. Remote work has zero negative impact in productivity. So if you want to read good news, you can. It was done based on a study in Texas by the University of Texas A&M, and was done during Hurricane Harvey, and how, you know, even in those times, you know, there was really no um negative impact in your productivity on your productivity for working remotely and you know as we've seen people coming back what we're seeing is fear and seeing a lot of coming back to something that is not anymore but according to at least this study it has zero negative impact yeah i i think again i i'm i'm a skeptic for all of the all or nothing you know, kind of uh, statements in in the world. Uh, so zero negative impact is is probably a you know an overstatement. Uh, but the idea that somehow it is it has dramatic negative impact coming out of any you know of the executives who are you know out there basically remote working and then telling their employees that they can't remote work uh, is is a form of hypocrisy that is kind of of interesting to watch. Um, but you know, I hope that over time we get to see more and more research. And uh, and show for everyone the nuances based on industry, based on job roles, and whether or not they actually do affect you know remote work and or just you know productivity overall in any particular uh, regional labor force or industry industry uh, focused labor force and seeing what those uh, impacts are. All right, it looks like we have another article three strategies for dealing with procrastination here, or are we removing that from the? We removed that one. Got it. Okay. All right. With that, uh, we are going to 
uh, pause for a word from our sponsor this week, uh, Coworking Space by Personal Productivity Club. When we get back, we will head into the technology articles uh, this week. And so we will see you after the break. While working in person may be normal for you, it's unlikely your coworkers are as interested in being productive as you are. Or working remotely or from home can be isolating. And there's something powerful about being with productive people, even virtually, that helps you be more engaged. If a flavor of these sounds familiar, Coworking Space by Personal Productivity Club is for you. Coworking Space is a virtual work community designed to help members be more effective and efficient in their work and personal lives. At its core, we provide goal tracking and host focused action sessions throughout the week for accountability and camaraderie. Visit anythingbutidle.com forward slash coworking to learn more. Coworking Space lives inside Personal Productivity Club, a digital community for personal productivity enthusiasts, so you can find people who use methods and tools you do too. Again, head over to anythingbutidle.com forward slash coworking to see how Coworking Space can help you be more productive. And now, back to our show. Welcome back, everybody, to Anything But Idle. I'm Ray Sidney Smith, joined with Augusta Pinaud for the second half of Anything But Idle to talk about the technology and news headlines of the week. Augusto, what's our first tech headline this week? So soon PWA gets proper blurred and virtual backgrounds sharing audio on a Chrome tab. And you know when Zoom came and decided to eliminate the Android and Chromebook uh, application in favor of the PWA, the, there was a little eh, a lot of snafus at the beginning, you know. And but it's getting better and better. And now finally, you can have a proper blurred, a virtual background. It used to be like a circle, not that great. Now it's working well and back into working well. Yeah, I think I think it's really interesting to watch. So Zoom went to PWA. Now Microsoft with the Office doc, I don't know when they did this, but it's it's got to be uh, a while back now. Uh, but I've been hearing that, and I, I just really haven't paid attention and I should be, but I, I haven't been. And uh, which is that, uh, Microsoft removed their Office app from Android on Chromebooks, so you're really you're really uh, forced to use the PWAs or just the, the the browser tabs in order to access Microsoft Word Online, Microsoft Excel Online, and otherwise when you're on a Chromebook. And so I, I'm I'm not sure whether or not they actually have full fledged PWAs for the Chromebook either. But Microsoft is taking kind of a, a risk here in removing the Android apps from the Chromebook ecosystem, hoping that the web browser versions are sufficient enough. And I'll just note that for anybody who feels like, you know, weird about it, there is a button right on your on your Chromebook, you know, has the little double arrow icon. If you click on that, it pops it into a full screen view and you get the full experience of that particular browser. Uh, and it's it just has a really nice feel to it. And I, I you know, I use it all the time. And you know, it's a it's like it looks like a little uh, rectangle with two little arrows in the corner. If you just click on that, it'll just pop it into full screen mode, mm -hmm. and the it it feels like a full application. So uh, you know, I, I'll I'll be interested to, interested to see as more and more applications go this route on Chrome, whether or not that bleeds into Windows and Mac as well. Uh, because why 
have extra surfaces that you have to develop for when you can put all of your your programming resources into one into one mm -hmm. so uh you know it's just it's just the way the web is going i think it's the way that a lot of application development is going is you know putting it all into javascript and hoping that the world continues to but you see to run it that. is very interesting because as as you can see that now one as you said for developers you know allows them to be you know better because now you can offer really a universal solution as far as your device can do pwas you're good and second it gives the users the same experience regardless the device they grab you know you grab the computer from home great you grab your work computer great the tablet same experience and i think that's something wonderful yeah the the only balance out there though you know and i and i hear the criticism which is that you know if your pwa is uh is less featured than the desktop application, a native application, so to speak, then that's on you to, to bring the PWA up to speed so that it has the same feature set as your normal applications. Presumably, if you have fewer applications to develop for natively, then you should be able to put more resources into making sure that PWA is working spectacularly on that system and making it feel like a native application, even though it's not. And I, I see a lot of opportunity here, uh, but they've got to make the experience good for users. Otherwise, there are going to be people who push back and, and rightfully so. All right, on to our next story, a little bit of workspace news. Yeah, workspace storage managed tools are rolling out for admins. And I'm going to let you talk really about this because this is more into the areas that you manage than I manage. Yeah, so this is explicitly for Google Workspace admin uh, administrators. And so what they're doing now is giving you basically a workspace storage dashboard and a bunch of tools to basically manage the amount of storage and space people are using within your Google Workspace account. So this is for those of, of you who are managing teams within Google Workspace. And so you can see each individual, how much data they're using, what applications and the types of data that are being utilized within Google Workspace and then being able to deal with those things. So you can say, okay, well, I need to, you know, get access to these things. I need to either um, expand, uh, you know, the, the storage available to this user or whatnot and kind of deal with all those particular pieces within the Google Workspace environment. And uh, it's, I think it's really, really useful. I think it's very, very helpful to be able to see like who's hogging up all the all the space in uh, in one particular user account and um also who's producing all of the content in the organization you know you might have one or two users who's just producing a lot more uh content and you as the admin can see that uh just by virtue of looking at the storage uh sometimes in the system so there's some interesting things that you can do there you can also see some storage limit warnings so that when people do get to a particular uh, storage uh, amount uh, you're kind of triggered so that you know what to do about those things so it's just helpful all around to be able to know how much space is in there especially if you're effectively backing up and also when uh, someone leaves or someone is terminated from a role you're capable of uh, doing better uh, storage management by having this data kind of at your fingertips in, in terms of what needs to happen when those things happen all right on to our next story this week. Our next story this week is something that should get you excited. So we are <laughs> going to put a time limit for you here. Pixel Watch, go. <laughs> you know, I mean, all it is is that the Pixel Watch is coming, right? We know that it's probably going to be announced at Google I.O., and uh, there's also a rumor that the Google Pixel Buds Pro may be announced at Google I.O., uh, but knowing that the Pixel Watch is 
like imminently coming out and that it's called Pixel Watch is, you know, kind of, we kind of knew that already, right? <laughs> I, I'm inc incredibly excited about it. I mean, I will I will be tossing uh, this Samsung Galaxy Watch 4 right on you know eBay the moment the Pixel Watch goes on sale, and I will be purchasing a Pixel Watch. Uh, you know, purely because I've got a Pixel line of phones in the house. Like we have a, we have several Google Pixel phones in the house, uh, and I'm currently my daily driver is a Pixel 5, and I actually really like it. I know that there are a lot of improvements in the Pixel 6 and 6 Pro, uh, but the 6 Pro. I'm I'm not as particularly, you know, excited about the six Pro. I I may be excited uh, come later this year with the Google Pixel Seven uh, and the Seven Pro and seeing whether or not I'll upgrade from the five to the to the Seven Pro when it does come out. But having the Pixel Watch just tightly pair with your phone is so important, and I think most Apple users already know that with the Apple iOS and Apple Watch OS experience, I want that. And since I'm not a Samsung phone user, I don't have that experience with Samsung. And no offense, uh, you know, to Big B, but I have no interest in uh, that assistant from Samsung being any anywhere near or around me in terms of uh, help. Uh, so it's just not that helpful of an assistant. And that's a problem. So I'm really excited about the Pixel Watch. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that it lives up to the length of time they took to get it out the door. So, <laughs> so I'm really hoping the Pixel Watch, um, oh, uh, you know, is is not underwhelming in terms of expectation because I expect it to be a really, really damn good smartwatch. That's exactly what is exciting for me about this. Dude, I'm getting a Pixel Watch. No, uh, but I really hope one of the problems I see currently with the Apple Watch is that. Who is a competitor? Sorry, there is no competitor. And being no competitor in the market, Apple has no push, okay? It is the same issue Apple is having with the Max N1, okay? We have the event coming, WWDC. Are we expecting great things? No, I'm expecting that the 2022 WWDC is going to be the most boring WWDC ever. Why? There is no innovation needed from Apple, okay? If they do nothing and they come and say, we decide not to release anything, they will still be ahead 12 months. So why? So what I'm excited about this is if Google really push the line, as I hope they do, because if they have shown, at least until now, every time they put the Pixel brand next to it, they really push it. So... I'm hoping that's what happened with the watch. And that means that the next year, Apple Watch, it's going to push the line, even maybe with this year, but I doubt it. Yeah, let's hope. Let's hope. Yeah, I'm just, I'm hoping this Pixel Watch makes my life more productive. You know, I just really, I feel like I use, I had a Huawei watch prior to this, and I feel like I used that watch every day, all day, all the time. It was for as old as it was when when I finally replaced it with this Samsung Galaxy Watch 4, it was a powerhouse. I mean, the, really, the only issue was that it stopped receiving updates, and but it paired with my phone. It worked like a, a charm. The uh, when I called Big G, it answered. Like it was just a really solid device. And the the you know this Samsung watch is great. I mean, there's no there's really no nothing wrong with it except for the fact that it, it lacks Google Assistant. And so it becomes that much less useful to me 
when I expect it to be so tightly, you know, like I expect Google Fit, I expect uh, the assistant, I expect all of those pieces to just be working since it's sitting on my wrist. And while it's collecting all that data and putting it into Samsung Health, it's not synchronizing most of that data to Google Fit. And it, it's just problematic for me. I just don't feel like I'm getting as much out of the phone and watch combination mm -hmm. as I really should be. Onward to our next story this week, Augusto. Well, our next story this week is about e-ink. You know, and, and I know we have talked about e-ink before and we have talked about the colors and the colors are coming and are getting better. And, you know, every time I see this news, I get excited and it is like, okay, what's going to get, what are we really getting these devices now? And are we going to see them in the future? And I think the mixed are the getting closer between the screens that we see now and the screens on e-ink and the future are getting closer and closer. And for a person who looks at a screen day in and day out, that is very exciting for me. Yeah, I mean, the, the possibilities of e-ink are just innumerable. Think of having an e-ink wrap your vehicle or being able to take an e-ink book where it's physical paper that you are turning and for the display pages to just have innumerable content within it. Uh, so it just, it takes the Kindle concept to kind of another level. Plus you can, you can wrap devices that otherwise would be uh, oddly contoured and you could put text inside of those things that could be dynamic. Uh, there are all kinds of, of ways in which e-ink I think will solve a lot of problems in the world. And we're getting richer color we're getting more colors and they're becoming faster in the way in which they display consistently. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, you know, there's an energy savings. Uh, we've talked about this ad nauseum on the show, uh, but this most recent one, the e-ink uh, gallery three, you know, just being able to display 50,000 colors and do that in an e-ink display just means a super cost savings in terms of battery impact, uh, which means you get this much longer usage out of the same set of devices. So, Really looking forward to seeing how they deal with actuators, how they deal with touchscreen, how they deal with all of those other pieces in the devices to be able to reduce power consumption. Uh, but if they can do that, and they can do this in devices at scale, that's a big impact for a lot of the world. Uh, so we will keep watching the e-ink world for what they're doing. Yeah, and our next news is on... Uh, new Tempered Glass offers an e-paper experience on the iPad mini. And basically it's a, it's, it's a screen that you're, a glass that you're going to be able to put in top of the iPad mini. That is a test they are showing and will give you a similar experience to what a Kindle is. And that's what they're comparing it to. Uh, so it's very interesting to see uh that coming yeah i'm i'm very curious whether or not this has a, a a space in the market uh there are other paper covers like the paper like that you know they're they're, they're screen protectors that give that paper feeling to it i'm wondering if this kind of tempered glass you know protector uh also is going to have that same feel like the paper white like when you take your say, Apple Pencil across it. I, this is for the uh, iPad mini, you said. I'm not sure which iPad mini and whether or not that provides uh, support for the Apple Pencil or which Apple Pencil that provides support for. 
but I would be curious what the what the feeling is like when you're utilizing it with the pencil as opposed to otherwise. Like the paper like gives that that feeling of writing on paper with the Apple pencil. Right. I'm not and that will be very, very interesting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think I think the paper like is is probably the thing I would go with before I would run to something like this, giving this kind of matte finish to it. Uh I I don't particularly find myself intrigued by the the e-paper looking experience on an iPad mini. Although I know that you've done work to make your iPad emulate an e-ink type screen uh, for concentration purposes and focus purposes. So I can see this kind of matte finish maybe helping to emulate that kind of Kindle feel to it and therefore, you know, give you that same experience. Um, I just don't have that. I don't have that need. Uh, and I really do like the paper-like screen protectors for the writing surface feel that you get when you're using good notes or notability yeah on the ipad and I, I have explained it here in the show but on the ipad you can go to settings accessibility and filter colors so it basically take all the screen color and make it basically tonal tones of great very close to the ink so i use it consistently. I even have an, a button that if I click three times or a shortcut, so if I click three times the center button, it will turn automatically into gray colors. But it's great because I, for example, take my iPad to bed, but instead of reading colors and have all those negative influence that they say, I go and do it in in a basically and something similar to an e-ink that at the end of the day, then I take my glasses, you know, I can Mostly it's reading what I'm doing, but it allows me to do that without the colors and all that. In at the end of the day, my eyes are very tired. It's very, very good for that. Fantastic. On to our next story. So our next story, and this is the last story we're going to do on ebooks, <laughs> but it's sent to Kindle. Sorry, this was the week of the ebooks, apparently, but it's sent to Kindle it's getting an upgrade. So you will able or used to be able to send Moby books and PDFs with the send to Kindle. And now they're upgrading so you can start sending EPUB files finally. Because up to now, and, and it's not fully updated sometime at the end of this year, but up to now, if you wanted to send a file, you needed to do a Moby. So as a Author, you needed to have the mobile file for the Kindle people and the ePub file for the rest of the world and those kind of things. Now you will be able to create an ePub file and share with everybody. That is very exciting. I get a lot of things that I convert into ePub because it's faster for me to annotate and all that. Now I will be able to have them in the Kindle and access on any device. So very, very excited about it. Yeah, I'm I'm really pleased. I I think that it's a little bit unfortunate that uh, Kindle, Amazon took this long to support EPUB. Agreed. Uh, and and of course, you know they purchased. I forget who they purchased to get the Mobi format, and now they're sunsetting the Mobi format. Uh, and and as well as the AZW, the original, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, Amazon uh, file format. And that's all. It's all right. I mean, like, you know, again, they just don't, they, they're telling you that you'll be able to still send it, but it just basically won't support the latest features on Kindles. I totally get it. They need to, I mean, 
we don't have that problem with Apple. Apple says, oh, by the way, we got rid of, uh, you know, uh, Flash and we're not supporting it anymore. And it was way before anybody else gave up support for Flash. And they were just like, we're getting rid of it. And they, they don't have a problem with kind of cutting off old technologies no. in order to be able to push the envelope. A lot of other companies really have a concern for legacy support. And I'm on that side. I think that legacy support is really important for a lot of technologies until it becomes uh, detrimental, usually from a cybersecurity perspective. And so I don't really fault Amazon here, except that there's really only a business interest in them making this tra change, right? They, can, they could have reverse engineered and made the legacy Mobi format still support their latest features. They just chose not to put in the uh, programming and development resources to make that happen. Uh, but... I, I'm with you. I think it was great for them to add EPUB support finally, but they already knew that they had crushed EPUB in uh, and and created dominance in the Amazon Kindle world. And now they're just doing this because it's a nice thing to do and to say to people along the way. So I would just note to everybody that there is a free Kindle email address associated with your accounts. So just remember that it's your username or the device's name at free.kindle.com. And so... Uh, it, it, you need to send those documents to that email address and it will it will send it over their free network, which has some limitations, but for the most part should work for you. And that's my, that's my way of just... Yeah, uh, I don't know an Android. I don't know an Android, but if you have the document in Dropbox or Google and it's a compatible file, you can go and click the square wizard of arrow, the action, and then send directly to Kindle from there. I have no clue how that works or not work on Android. Yeah, so so it works pretty similar on the Android platform uh, for those just clicking on the share button and then uh, sharing to the Amazon Kindle on those mobile devices. But many times I get eBooks, uh, people send me their review books, people send me documents, clients send me documents, and I want to be able to read those in long form on the on or in the Kindle format, and uh, this is a nicer reading experience for me. And or I'm sending it to good notes to be able to annotate. But most of the time, if it's a long read and I just want to read it and not actually do much annotation, I want to I'm going to send it to the Kindle. And it's usually easier just to shoot it off via email. Although I have noted that uh, saving it to Dropbox, I have a it's either an if uh, applet or a Zapier uh, zap that grabs anything I put into that Dropbox folder and then places it into Amazon Kindle as well. As long as it's in the right format, it does kind of the same thing as sending to Kindle via the email address. So you have multiple ways of getting things into Kindles. Just knowing the right way for you and then following that method is going to be important for you uh, generally. All right. We have reached the top of our technology stories and that um, brings us, of course, to our business and finance segment. We've got a couple of announcements there. Go for it. So the first one we have is Industry 4.0 by 2050. And the article goes into, you know, defining Industry 1.0, the beginning of the factories, you know, 2.0, the major evolution, you know, railroads, telegraph, and the addition of that Industry 3.0 is you know, the upgrade, the addition of the computers to provide better communication tool. And now we are adding you know, Internet of Things, artificial intelligence, 3D. By 2050, seems far to me, but it is, you know, you can read a little bit of, about how this, or they estimate, is going to, to think. But I don't know if... Internet of Things as such will wait to 50-50. I think that revolution is already behind as a revolution I'm talking about. 
Yeah, so there's an eight-minute video on the page. I highly recommend you watch the yes. eight minutes. You can watch it in 2x speed if you need to. And the uh, you know the reality is, is that when we think about the way in which we move forward in the world, we have a tendency to forget that our children today need to be prepared for the future. And if we do not and cannot forecast, at least with some general broad strokes, what the future is going to look like, we are going to be... Uh, behind. And so 2050 is really like, if I have a child today, you know, they'll be 25, 27, whatever, um, by the time 2050 rolls around. And that means that the education system, the, uh, the professional development system, you know, um, the vocational education and technical education uh, world, all of those need to, um, you know, be supported by government in changing so that we can be prepared for that future. And uh, we already know the technology, the, uh, the future is more technology, the future is more hybrid and remote work, uh, and the future is more knowledge work in those spaces. And so how do we get behind um, the right resources so that we can have industry supporting our future, you know, uh, jobs. Like, how do we how do we have good jobs? May uh, I say, even great jobs uh, for our children and our children's children, uh, so that we we are capable of having that kind of uh, economic benefit. Uh, that when you know I'm more gray haired and uh, sitting in sitting in my nursing home, uh, you know, knowing that the future is going to be brighter for them uh, than it was for me. And I and I think that we we always want that to be the case. We want a verdant environment, a green, flush environment for uh, the future generations. We need to think about that today. And so I I know that it seems like a far way off, but I I really urge everybody to watch this and think about what do we need to do today. To make sure that the future generations, I'll, I'll be, I'll potentially be long dead uh, by the time 2075 comes along. Um, but I want to know that what we're doing today is helping make sure that you know uh, the future generations have a chance at a better life and a better future uh, than we did. And so it's, I, I think it's it's a really important piece there. All right, our next story. Our next story is a story from nine to five, and it's an opinion. It's titled Opinion. Okay, iPad sees year-over-year -year sales decline, and I blame iPad OS for that. And you know, we're talking about a 2.2 year-over-year decline. You know, for a modic 7.65 billion of revenue. So I don't think Apple is crying over that 2.2 percent. But you know, as the article goes into that and blames iOS, you know. I respectfully disagree. There is two things that has happened in the last two years. One is the M1 chip. And the M1 chip make really very exciting to buy a MacBook. Okay, That, you know, it's ridiculously powerful. Not only that, Apple released four or five chipsets, you know, one more powerful than the other one. Okay, the M1 that it was already ridiculously powerful, okay, end up being the slowest one of the family of chipsets. And even that the Mac, or sorry, the iPad got the M1, the 2021 iPad is, like many things, Apple, ahead of the game. Okay, And Apple has done this years over years over years, especially when they do massive changes like this. Okay, that the first generation is lagging behind and then they come and catch it up. So the 2.2% one, I don't think is significant. Second, 
the reality is people bought a lot of tablet devices between 2020 and 2021 because of all the pandemic. And now the cycles on these devices are not 12 months, are much longer than that one. And second, I believe if anybody has played with a MacBook, even the MacBook Air with an M1, they're incredibly fast. And as a person which main machine is the iPad, my main machine is an M1, iPad M1, and it died. Okay, it got bent according to Apple, and therefore, it's it needed a replacement. Whatever, the fact was, I spent Saturday, Sunday, Monday, two, six days, seven, no, almost nine days without a Mac, without an iPad. Do I have other devices in my office? Yes, I do. Do that hurt my productivity? Yes, it hurts so much at the point that I said, if this machine gets bent again. I will, while they fix it, get another one to to run because the cost was too high. Will I can use the MacBook Air M1 that I have in here? Yes. Will I replace that machine with my iPad over my dead body? Okay. And my my argument to this is not if the Mac can, the iPad can do what the Mac do. Okay. As I have said now for a while, no, no. The question is not if the iPad can do what the Mac can do. The question for me is, can the Mac do what my iPad do? And this week proof, the answer for me at least is no. And I'm going to now get back to my out of my sub box and let you continue the show. So do you think that we have reached peak iPad? Do do you do you think that we have reached a point where we've reached peak iPad in the market? Oh no. No, no. I think what happened was again, how how many people upgrade both devices in the same year? And the number, it's small, period. And the M1, it's an incredible machine. It's incredibly fast, but it's lagging on the software. And it was expected. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. Same thing with the Mac OS. What do you think the Mac OS is using the full power of the M1? No. They they couldn't. Now we are going to see this year is where we're going to see the leaps and bounds that both the iPad as well as the Mac OS can do with the software. But I don't care how big is Apple is. You can't keep secrecy of a chipset, okay, and the operating system and develop incredible, especially when the gap that you create was so big and the gap with the M1 is so big okay, that there is no hurry. As I said earlier in the show today about the watch, okay, the Apple Watch, it's boring. Why? Because there is no contender in the market. Then why? They don't need to think very, very hard. What do we need? Oh, O2 sensor. That was a great innovation. I'm sorry. That's depressing. Okay. But the problem was with an O2 sensor, we went already ahead of the market. So why? <laughs> it's very hard to push when you don't need to push to be ahead of the market. And we need the competitors to come and really beat Apple. So Apple can turn back into the monster that it is. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that we've reached peak iPad. And I'm actually really curious when WWDC comes around, whether or not, you know, the the rumors of the iPad, uh, the iPod touch come back, uh, you know, that would be an interesting re-release of a product on the market uh, and how that mixes with the other mobile options among iPads, iPad Airs, Minis, and the Pros. And I, I think 
I think across the board, I think it really makes a lot of sense for them to have the different options for different markets. You know, it's not in the news for this week, but Apple today announced, you know, that the iPod Touch is is dead, is a legacy now, officially. Mm -hmm. And it's it makes sense, okay? If I have two kids, okay, 10 and 13, if you ask my kids what an iPod is, they will look at you like, I don't know, okay? And if you show it to them, they say, oh, it's like an iPhone without data. Okay, that will be the answer. Sorry, they don't care for the device. They want an iPhone. They don't want an iPod Touch. And and it's fine. The brand did what it did, and it did very well. And the kids now want the iPhone or the iPhone. And actually, my 10-year-old, okay, came and said, hey, what can I do to get data? on my iPad, okay? That's what he wants now. He understands that if he can get data, he can play anywhere and his iPad has no data and that's what he wants. So he's trying to negotiate how he's going to pay for data until he saw the cost. But that's a different story that, you know, outside of this event today. Yeah, so it's official that they're not gonna bring another iPod touch to the market. Well, as of today, I don't think so. Interesting. I don't think so. They may bring yeah. a smaller iPad, but I don't see yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it would be the same thing, right? Like if they made an iPad, iPad, uh, iPad Micro, as opposed to the iPad Mini, it would just basically be an iPod Touch. So yeah. it's kind of curious to me how that all works. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't care either way. I, I but I, I think it's really, really interesting to see a a successful piece of hardware. Uh, married with a really good operating system, you know, on the market for as long yeah. as the iPad has been, and uh, and what they're doing with it. So one um, of the things that you see is how early families are doing giving phones to the kids, you know, and yeah. so why even if you think about it, if you get my phone right now and go and upgrade, my phone being okay, I can give it to the kid without a phone line. Why buy an iPod Touch? Right. It's it's a difficult product to to place on the current technology realities. Yeah, I can see myself getting an iPod Touch over an uh, iPad Mini, though. I mean, I don't need an iPad Mini, whereas I would still want to have access to some applications that I'm not going to get an iPhone. Uh, you know, I have I have a bunch of Android phones, and I'm just not going back to you know to to iOS, and and so that's just. But having that form factor would make a lot of sense for a lot of applications that that I would want that form factor for so i can see i can see utility for some of us who are just testing things and uh troubleshooting with clients you know that kind of thing i know it's an edge case but either way let's move on to productivity resources of the week as you all know augusto and i come across many personal productivity tools apps and services in our productivity journeys uh to bring you anything but idle each week and so in this segment uh productivity resources of the week uh we each bring you one or you know two tools uh, we think you might like. Uh, today, we each have two tools. And um, so the first one up is a tool called Lunatask. And I found this out actually through, I think it was an entrepreneur uh, link. And Entrepreneur was like selling a lifetime access deal to it. So definitely check that out. If you go to entrepreneur.com and type in Lunatask or something like that, you'll find this application. And uh, I think it's like $49 USD to get a lifetime access to it. But the reason I bring this to you is because Lunatask is really interesting because it is a privacy-focused task application. And it doesn't just do tasks. It has uh, a task manager built in. It's got a notebook. So it has a note 
note-taking functionality. It has a habit and mood tracker, a Pomodoro timer, and a journaling application all built into this one tool that is uh, and can be used local and encrypted. So, you know, for those of you who really want to have something that is uh, insular and discrete on your operating system that is separate from the world, Lunatask may be something interesting for you to look at. Uh, from my my uh, brief playing around with it, it seems like a really decent application and looks really nice. Uh, works on Mac, uh, Mac OS, Windows, and Linux. So you have uh, all the desktop application options. They're beta testing Android and iOS, so soon you will have mobile applications available. And so I'm presuming that they're, they're doing this lifetime deal to build up the funds to be able to hire that Android and iOS development team to make that happen. Uh, but you know, with the calendar uh, tool built into it where you can connect your calendar. It seems like a really nice, clean looking application. It almost reminds me of Mailbird and the way in which Mailbird looks in terms of the the design aesthetic. So I just wanted to kind of uh, pique anyone's attention who was really looking for something like that. I think the mood uh, and habit tracker piece element, that whole thing is really unique. I don't, you don't see that in a lot of tools, uh, having this kind of mood and emotion, uh, energy, tracker built into the tool itself. So uh, it supports Markdown and the note-taking system and the journaling app looks kind of blase, but you know, who cares? Uh, but it has its own uh, bookmarklet for being able to put in your book, uh, you know, grab uh, web pages into the tool. It has email integration, Zapier access. So pretty, pretty solid device uh, for something that looks and seems like it's young. I actually don't know how old it is, but it seems fairly young and it, it seems like it's uh, pretty a solid tool. And of course, for those who are privacy focused. Augusto, what is your tool this week? So my tool this week is called IOA. And it is initially, it was introduced to me as a mind map tool. Okay, and you can collaborate on the web and you can include, that was very interesting, multi-platform apps for the Mac website. So, but after I downloaded and I start playing with it, discover, oh, this has a lot more. So basically, they allow you to do three main things. Create what they call a task board, think on a Trello, okay? Create mind maps or create whiteboards where you can collect a bunch of information. One of the cool things that they have is that you can, from the different mind maps, get to what they call on the top, my planner. So you can put different tasks, different things in places, and it will give you an organized version of what you have on every mind map. Uh, it is pretty. It has things I have not seen on other mind maps regarding the presentation. Uh, so it is a very interesting application. I've been very happy playing with it. Um, so you can do, as I said, task boards, mind maps, whiteboards. You have the planner. You can do chat if you have... Uh, people, you know, collaborating. So it seems a new contender, or at least it's new for me, contender in town. And it's been very interesting, my time playing with it. Yeah, this used to be Drop Task, uh, which was launched uh, in like 2013, and they rebranded a few years ago. And I, I have to say, Drop Task turning into IOA, I mean, it's a, just a really great application. And the name change didn't stop their development of a, of a fantastic platform. And so I, everyone I know who uses it loves it. Uh, so it's a, a really, really great platform. So thanks for bringing that to. Yeah, I was very impressed. I've been um, 
uh, it's called the one I use, my node user for many, many, many years. And aside of the idea of me to migrate from my node that I'm considering actively, uh, I was very, very impressed with what I saw in there. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a free mind slash mind 42 user for the web collaboration slash local mind mapping side of it. And they're very, very, um, Spartan tools, but they're interoperable. And so I've just never been able to get into simple mind or into any of the MindMeister or XMind because it requires that lack of interoperability mm -hmm. that I'm just not willing to, to utilize in a mind mapping environment. Um, Workflowy uh, mixed with, with FreeMind mixed with Mind42 is probably the closest thing since you can import and export uh, XML files or OPML files that are in an outline format to the mind map format and back. Uh, DropTasker, IOA, uh, provides that really nice uh, blend between Kanban and you know mind map and outline and so on and so forth that I think is a really nice uh, feature there. Either way, onward to our featured story this week. Augusto, what's our featured story this week? So Apple begins allowing you to repair uh, the do-it-yourself repair services now available in the States, at least for iPhone 12 and iPhone 13. So Apple is launching their do-it-yourself service. You will be able to buy parts and get even tools for rental. And there are certain limits. There are warning signs, but they are going to give you access to the repair manual. You know, the, the you are going to get to the parts they're going to give you um the thing and you know it is interesting because you know when you look at the prices it's not more cheaper than bring it to the apple store and let them do it uh but hey they check the box that now you can do it you know and i went even and and play you know i fix it i was mentioning that mon Apple requirements are that you need to provide the serial number, the IMEI number for the device to buy for replacing the parts. I don't know what is the reason for that, but basically you can buy the parts and if you return the old parts, um, they give you a credit back. So I'm using, I'm assuming that Apple is trying to increase the number of recycling uh, that they are going to do from these old parts instead of people putting them on the trash. So kudos to Apple for that. And at least for the battery, I went and played with, okay, let me rent a battery. What will be the cost for an iPhone 12 Pro to get the battery? Okay, it was 70 bucks. You get 24, 15 in, if you replace the, the return, the replaced part. That at the end will be 46 bucks to do it yourself. And they said, if you do this, then you need to call us after that or call Uppercare. So we do the testing. They can send you a link and the software will run in the phone. This is very interesting. But as I said, this requires somebody with skills. And this is important to remember. This is not thought designed for the average user. The average user should, should walk to the Apple store and drop the phone in the envelope and pick it up the next day. Because the risk of damaging the phone, yes, is not going to damage the warranty. And I think that's part of the serial number idea is when you come back and say, I don't know what happened with your phone. They say, oh yeah, this is the part that you tried to replace. Uh, too bad. Okay. But I don't know. 
Yeah, I think I think there are a number of different things going on here. One is that right to replace movements uh, around the world are catching up with Apple, Google, Samsung, Microsoft, and the other OEMs. And so they are trying to get ahead of it. And Apple's doing the bare minimum here. Uh, I know that you're lauding them for the recycling component here, but I think there's probably a bit more on the loss yeah, prevention. And it's, it's loss prevention mixed in with cost recovery. And so I think there is an environmental benefit here, yes, but I don't think that was their primary point. It's kind of an afterthought. Uh, and, uh, and, and for a company that's supposed to be, you know, progressive in their views on the environment, uh, they, should really, they should really take it up a notch, right? Um, Microsoft, I'm still aware of your ocean mouse. That was an idiotic product. Uh, so, so I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not uh, happy with Microsoft on that level either. But, you know, the, the reality here is that the right to repair uh, should be a right. It is a right. Uh, it's just it has not been enumerated by uh, at least in the United States yet. Uh, but we should have a right to repair our own devices. I can go take my shoe and get the sole replaced. I should be able to go take my phone, own my phone, and take it and have it fixed in any way, shape, or form that I want to. Um, Apple doing the bare minimum of giving the 12, the 13, and the third generation uh, iPhone SE uh, capable uh, toolkits is uh, is is one thing. It's a bit patronizing for them to come to me and tell me that I can't fix my own phone. But I fully and absolutely agree with you. Uh, this is not for most people. Most people uh, are going to damage their devices and damage the technology that's in their hands. And they should really leave this to competent people who can can do this stuff. And for that means, that means might mean like, you know, your 15 year old daughter who is savvy with, with technology, but it also probably means going to an iFixit or to some other, um, you know, authorized repair uh, person who can who can do this kind of stuff. So I think it's a good step in the right direction. Sure. Um, do I think that we should be far, far further with regard to uh, repair kits for these technologies? Yes. Also, uh, I think I think we need to do more and we need to be more vocal to OEMs that they shouldn't and can't lock in, uh, you know, technology so that in essence, I'm just I'm just licensing the phone that I own, I paid you $1,000 for a phone, $1,300 with peripherals and all the other things. And then, and then I, I can't even fix my own phone. It kind of, it, it kind of makes me. The guy who has tried to fix them before, you know, and I tell the story when my son got his, he got my iPad Pro, the 9.7 and the screen broke. That was recent. That device was upgraded. So. I give it to him and I and it was in the beginning of the pandemic. So I said, okay, when you know pandemic gets, I will so I, he was desperate. So I said, okay, fine, I'm going to buy the screen and I'm going to do the repair. Okay, instead of going to Apple. Uh that said, he got a new iPad <laughs> a week after that. And that has been my experience every time I try to repair. It could be that I don't have the patience or the skills or both, but in my experience, take it to Apple has always been cheaper than me trying to fix it. Yeah, I've I've fixed many many phones from Android to uh, to other tablets to a couple of iPhones, and you know I've uh, I've accidentally scraped off you know important components. Uh, <laughs> you know I've damaged an actuator or two uh, when attempting to repair uh, screens. You know these things do happen, and so you're going to have to you know when you you damage the actuator on uh, on an iPhone screen, you got to toss that and get a new new screen with a proper uh, affixed 
actuator again uh, so that you can you can get it to work right and and there are a plethora of 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 aftermarket and uh, you know uh, less than stellar uh, parts that you can buy on Amazon and other places and you have very mixed results in whether or not those things are going to work and so I like having the ability to buy directly from the from yeah. the producer of the phone uh, to be able to say okay this is something I, I know will work when I plug it in and if it doesn't I can go back to the Apple store and say hey I, I tried this display and it's not working. Can you fix it? Uh, you know, or provide me with one that I know is going to work. So I, I like that surety that you can have. I wish there was more of that. That you could go to Lenovo and say, "Hey, I need this part." And I know you can to some extent, but they make it really, really difficult for you to be able to do that stuff. You know, uh, you know this, Augusto, but you know, I had uh, a, a, a keyboard on one of my Chromebooks uh, fail, and you know, replacing that. I mean, you really solved the problem for me, but Lenovo couldn't. Uh, you know, they they weren't able to sell me the keyboard to the to the laptop I bought from them. It was ridiculous that they couldn't sell me this one particular part that they didn't sell separately from other pieces. That should be illegal. I mean, just really, sh it's 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 criminal on some level for them to sell me a product and then to make it completely obsolete when one particular component of the device no longer operates. So we need to have a better uh, stance here on all of this. And I know I'm a bit on, on my soapbox about it, but I really get oh. um, aware when these kinds of things happen to people around me. And I get those calls, you know. But I'm going to share this with with people, not not for any other that I'm sure that problem that you have, it's a problem that other people have. And, you know, we he Ray tried to find it in Lenovo. I tried to find it either. And then suddenly I thought about, well, what about going we went eBay, couldn't find it. And then I thought about finding a broken device. And that's what we found. Somebody was selling the broken device with the keyboard, and that's what I bought and shipped. I, the person was trying to get rid of the device, and we fixed yeah. the keyboard issue. But and I want to share it just because in case somebody else is having that same struggle, if your OEM do not provide you the piece, find for a broken device on eBay because you don't care for the device. You care is for the piece that you're missing, and that may be the solution. Absolutely. Okay. With that out of the way, announcements, and then we'll wrap up. We have up. two announcements. One is Happier App won the Webby Award. That's Gretchen Rubin app, and she won uh, the Webby Award this year. And um, our second announcement is an article from Protocol saying most customers do not appreciate um, subscriptions. Productivity nerds apparently do. Uh, but it goes into the cost of all these apps and you know how much they add and how much is your monthly cost when you start adding all these subscriptions all these apps and you know sometimes we don't notice how much this adds up and how quickly it adds up yeah and like apps like uh, services like setup which is kind of like the mac os netflix uh, you know, subscription service, uh, or it's an it's the Netflix of macOS apps. I, I don't know if they do iOS apps as well, but the the idea though is that you subscribe to a a, a payment, uh, you know, subscription. Yeah, there is a, there is one that do they don't do iOS, but they do Mac, and I don't remember the name of the company. Oh, set set app set app. Okay. Um, and so you know there there are those kinds of of services, and there are others out there like that. 
And uh, so you can save substantial money if you if you kind of use something like that, but then you don't necessarily own the software. Not that you own the software anyway, you're licensing it either way, but you're paying on a regular basis for access to this pool of software. So that may be something to also consider. Uh, also, a lot of people uh, get other software that's already baked into their their conglomerate tool of choice, whether that be Google Workspace or Microsoft 365 or in the Apple ecosystem, you know, you have uh, the iWork. I don't know what it's called anymore. Is it, I, is it still iWorks? Uh, so, uh, you know. Pages and numbers and keynote. Yeah, yeah. Basically that productivity suite, you know, you have all of those things caked into the iCloud, you know, ecosystem. And so, you know, like utilize the tools that are available to you. Many times you don't need the extra tools. Uh, they're nice to have. Uh, and so I think that's always a good point just to keep things, uh, you know, fiscally responsible in some way, shape or form. And uh, so with that, uh, we've co covered the uh, productivity and related technologies news this week, Augusto. And so thank you, as always, for putting together this show each and every week. It is my pleasure. Okay. On anythingbutidle.com, you will find our show notes. You will find links to all the stories that we discussed. You will find our productivity resources of the week. And you'll also find a boatload of extra stories that we couldn't <laughs> cover in our time together. If we did, we would be here for the next six hours and uh, and you might be sleeping by then. Uh, we also have text transcripts that you can read on the page itself. You just expand it right there on the episode page, or you can go ahead and download it as PDF to read offline. After looking at all of our show notes, if there is something that we missed, please let us know. You can uh, tweet or DM us at anything but idle literally the at symbol at anything but idle on Twitter. Uh, you can use our contact form. Uh, you can send a smoke signal. No, uh, you can leave a, a comment on our episode page, uh, but you can let us know. And that of course helps to inform everybody else. Uh, note also that we have a community which is inside a personal productivity club, which is our digital community dedicated to all of you personal productivity enthusiasts. Uh, but if you head over to anything but idle.com forward slash community, which is right there on your screen, anythingbutidle.com forward slash community, you will join the group dedicated to this podcast. And so every episode we put out a post. And so you can go ahead and comment on that episode post as well and let us know if there's anything that we missed or if you want to discuss anything with the other uh, fellow listeners of the show. Uh, so if this is your first time watching the live stream, feel free to click the subscribe button. That'll, of course, get you notified when we go live weekly. And if you're listening to the podcast, feel free to visit anythingbutidle.com forward slash subscribe. And there you can learn how to subscribe in your favorite podcast app for free across the interwebs. And so that will, of course, get it downloaded to your uh, podcast app of choice uh, when we put out new episodes the day after the show. So all of this stuff is available uh, we're recording live now, but by the time you're hearing this in the podcast feed, uh, we have already posted that content in the show notes, but these things go out the day after. All right. So with that, we thank you all for listening and watching and all that other fun stuff. Uh, we will see you all next time on Anything But Idle. Here's to your productive life.